0: Hello everybody! Are you doing the repeating me thing again?
1: (laughs) Sorry, restart, restart. Okay, three, two, one. Uh,
0: Hello everybody and welcome to the classroom.
1: Hello. Uh, today, we are doing uh, Heroes of Olympus, Son of Neptune, uh, the next book in our sort of uh, Heroes of Olympus read.
0: This is one of my favorites.
1: Okay. Wait, it's, it's a good your one. Opinions. I like the oh. characters. Oh, yes. Okay. So, um, uh, the new char- almost all of the new characters I'm supposed to like, I liked. Um, I like Frank. He's cool. Uh, he reminds me of Milo, uh, the Pokemon gym leader. Uh, uh hazel's cool I, I like people that are displaced out of time so that's neat um trying i'm trying to think of anything else i liked uh i liked orion uh, i liked that this had like a billion different uh sons of neptune and or poseidon uh because he's cool um this was this was nice uh and this helped strengthen my i like strengthen my opinions in uh okay maybe this new style of like third person is going to be a little bit better because it starts to get a little bit more jokey and back into sort of like how the original percy jackson's were feeling i still don't like the um these sort of like switching uh point of views as often however he increases the length from every two chapters to every four chapters, I believe, uh, which helps sort of like solidify a little bit more in my mind. It it stops from the whiplash and like lets us get a very good perspective from one person and then we get a nice transition. And usually it is at a time where it feels natural instead of just, oh, oh, we're looking at Leo now. Oh gosh, now it's Piper. Like it's, it's a lot more manageable.
0: Like I said, he definitely gets more into perspectives in this one mm-hmm. as well. I think we mentioned that last episode. Um, also, I think this story would have been very hard to do in not this kind of third person style. Yeah. Because we learned so much about Hazel's history, so much about Frank, just by being in their minds. Mm-hmm. Honestly, Percy's is like the weakest of these like narrations here. Like we don't get as much from him in this one, mm-hmm. which is completely fine. <laughs> but uh, with that, I guess we can go ahead and start our recap real quick.
1: Yeah.
0: And see, so, of course, we start off with Percy. Uh, no thought. Um, actually, he remembers one thing from his past life, and that's Annabeth, which is, like, super sweet. He, don't, he doesn't remember her name, I don't think. He just remembers her face. Mm-hmm. Um, and then um, he finds Harry's her-
1: Juno across the river.
0: Yeah. Uh, uh, into the Roman camp. Uh, well, and, um, of course, he meets Frank and Hazel as well uh-huh. at the beginning.
1: Uh, they fight off the people that were chasing uh, Percy and Juno. Uh, they get two vials of Gorgon's blood: one that will cure anything, the other that will instantly kill you. Uh, so some good odds there. Uh, and then they and then they start their own sort of version of uh, of capture the flag. They do like their uh, uh, what was that one called? What do they call it? In it's this is the
0: War Games, I think. Yeah,
1: it's the War Games. Yeah.
0: And it's like all of the different like ranks go against each other. And like the underdog rank is the one that Percy gets assigned to, um, which also has Frank and Hazel in it, as well as a son of Dionysus, or I can't remember his Roman equivalency. But um, really, we meet a lot of really fun characters at the Roman camp. Um, Anyhow, the 12th Legion ends up winning the war games. Uh, Mars appears, blesses Frank, And gives him a prophecy. Frank takes Hazel and Percy with him. Uh, They have to travel to Alaska, um, Mm -hmm. which is the land beyond the gods. And um, we kind of just have hijinks ensue with Percy realizing, oh yeah, you know what? I guess I can't control water. How dope is that? (laughs) Um, We also meet, do we get to meet Frank's grandma on this one?
1: Yes, yes we do. Uh, So (laughs) after after they trick uh, phineas uh which is sort of like a an, another uh prophesizer to like figure out where exactly in alaska they need to go uh and percy drinks the correct gorgon's blood um making him like start to remember things they head to frank's grandma's uh which she's like hey if you haven't figured it out already frank you got like a billion different legacies in you like every you got everyone's uh, stuff sort of just jambling around in there uh so, <laughs> uh, uh, so you gotta you gotta figure out that you can you got a secret power. So he's like, oh, okay. So he fights, and he sort of gets a little bit more of an inkling of what he can do—that he can turn into any sort of animal—but he is not able to get that going until the final fight in Alaska.
0: Right, and so we get to, and so we learn about Hazel's backstory as well. So it turns out she is a daughter of Pluto. She um, was dead. Now she's not but she tied defeating this giant that was supposed to help Gia rise. Um, and that's what she has to do again, but now with the help of Frank and Percy. Um, and they defeat the giant, head back to camp. Um, Percy uh, gets anointed as creator. Um, oh, we meet Rihanna, or Raina, which is the other creator of the camp, who's basically like the cabin leader-esque, I don't know how to describe it because the Roman camp is like a city. It's really neat. We'll, we'll touch on that in a little bit, but um, yeah. And I think, and then the book ends with them seeing the Argo 2 flying into New Rome.
1: Yeah. Um, I think that, I think that just about sums it up. I don't think there's any other odd details we got to throw in there.
0: Oh, Nico shows up
1: oh yes, never mind. Well, we will
0: definitely talk on Nico later. Uh-huh. I, I want him to be one of our characters because we, I have a lot of opinions on Nico in this book specifically. Oh, um, okay. Yeah, it's, I it get some theorizing. Anyhow. Got it. Um, <laughs> uh, I guess I just, we'll go ahead and start with our themes, I guess. Um, yeah. And we're going to go ahead and keep the same thing, themes that we went with, in the last episode or in the first part of this book, because these two books mirror each other.
1: Yes. These are, this is happening. I believe it seems six to eight months. I think it's eight months after the events of the last one.
0: Right. So Percy in the time of between books, Percy has went through Lupa's house, done the wolf training training of the Roman demigod and wandered his way to the Roman camp. Um, which is, like, a journey that every Roman demigod goes through. Um, and Seems I will, a little mean. Right. Well, they also Give a brand map. them. Give them a map. They also brand them. I don't think the Romans care too much about, like, being that's, nice.
1: That's fair.
0: Um, and we learn a lot, uh, and I think a lot of it plays into the story, of like, this, this community around New Rome. And we'll touch this before we touch into the deep themes. There is a huge community around New Rome, and the Roman camp, uh, Camp Jupiter. And it's like this is the first time that we see the demigods can live in a like a safe environment because New Rome the city has you know has a university, it has streets, it has you know markets and all that good jazz which you know of course the the Camp Half-Blood they just kind of were like "Eh, all right you're you're 20 don't die yeah um, just
1: get out there
0: right and it's like in in, in um, new rome it's like they they have the ability to live um like a normal and safe life as a demigod and there's a lot of we learn about legacies which are children of demigods not direct like not directly demigods themselves but just received the blessing in our descendants we meet one octavian who's an absolute
1: douchebag yeah he's the worst he's pretty rough he's like oh no i'm just gonna see yeah, it's okay i'm not killing animals i'm killing teddy bears but then he's also like a lying conniving piece of crap yeah he's bad he does get
0: his comeuppance by the end of this if it makes you feel any better
1: uh i get it My um but he
0: he's a little he's a little trash um and he's like a he's basically the the roman equivalency of rachel
1: mm.
0: he is there like they're not oracle they call him like a i can't remember. An augury. yeah so basically he is a descendant of apollo who has the ability to like read prophecy which plays into a lot of this because they have had the prophecy of the seven for centuries um which is like fun to learn and um so yeah it, it, this is a little bit of background information too but um so theme wise we see godly intervention heavy in this one too heck juno is in it she literally hobbles in front of Percy and forces him to forces him to carry her into the city and across the river and well and we learn that when he crosses the river he also loses his curse of Achilles um Mm -hmm. but that's just a little tidbit but we see Juno physically in the story and that's not the only god that we see physically in the story either because we have Mars coming down to Frank, his son, who didn't know that. Uh, Frank did not know who his godly parent was. He was still unclaimed. Um, and Mars, which obviously the, the Roman equivalency of Ares, shows up. And this he's very, he's more level uh, yeah, than Aries.
1: He's, he's less sort of just constantly an absolute wad. Um he also gives his fun prophecy, which uh, I can't remember exactly what it was, but it was something along the lines of here's my prophecy. Go to Alaska and defeat this guy. And that was it. And it was like, oh
0: <laughs> there was no fluff okay. to it. He was like, yeah, All sure. right, mess him up. And I think Aries or like the du- the duality between Mars and Aries kind of shows the difference between the two. And mm-hmm. we get we'll touch on that in a further episode or in a later episode of this like the difference between the gods and what it shows in the overall but we have frank who this entire like the entire ha- like first half of the novel is like i do not i i think my godly parent is apollo there is nobody else it could be i'm good with a bow uh, music's fine i guess i just want to be a son of apollo that's all i need and of course he he learns he's a son of mars and it like crushes him mm-hmm. for a while and we'll touch on that when we we'll touch on my identity. Also, I completely forgot about the fact Iris is a god that exists and is in this plot yeah. and does a lot.
1: Iris, Iris is great. Iris is great. Uh, thought it was very funny that she's like a crunchy hippie uh, and that she has a uh, someone that's just sort of like, oh yeah, uh, I take the messages because Iris has what you gonna you gonna let it, every single demigod ever constantly sending messages? Like no way, I gotta <laughs> offload some of this work.
0: Also, she lets Percy contact Camp.
1: Yeah. It was, he gets was very to see nice. Grover,
0: I think. Isn't it? Yeah. Well, no. No, she, it's Tyson.
1: Yes. And he, even then, uh, he tries, and it's very hard to, like, Percy cannot contact them because he does not have clear memories, but they let them, they sort of establish a link which lets him see uh, them in a dream.
0: Um, I'm trying to think. I think, and then Hazel's is the only like storyline that isn't directly in obviously still influenced by a god with kind of Juno pulling the strings here, mm-hmm. but her involvement of her godly parents specifically is a little more subtle,
1: yeah. Um, and it it's, plays it's...
0: into Nico's character a little bit in this too,
1: um, yeah, because Pluto, uh, Hades's equivalent, uh, really doesn't do much for her. I mean, he's in a, he's in a flashback. Uh, And he, like, tries to help out a little bit. uh, Presumably going to uh, just be, like, put her in the hotel with uh, Nico and Bianca. Uh, But other than that, the only other mention we get is, like, oh, we think that Pluto is just sort of looking away from, like, the demigods that, uh, like, cheated death.
0: Right. Well, and and he directly sets Hazel in Nico's line of vision so that he can, that that Hazel can be resurrected because she does serve this very important purpose in, in this overall, um, prophecy. I forgot the word. (laughs) Um, but I just, okay. Yeah. Um, that's all I have for godly intervention. These ones are far less like subtle than Mm -hmm. they were in the last book or in the last series. These are very much like Ares shows up he tells frank hey you're my kid nice job uh here's a weapon uh here's a prophecy have fun uh (laughs) and then Hera is just like ah i am helpless please son of neptune save me and he's like what
1: yeah (laughs) um there is there is another thing that i wanted to mention it's not really godly intervention it's more like primordial intervention but gaia uh, is still asleep at this point but slowly sort of waking up and gaining consciousness um, but uh the main thing that she does other than just like sort of uh, manipulate uh, the uh, the mother of Hazel and Hazel herself to an extent uh she also directly influenced the choice uh that Phineas makes on which uh, like which vial to take either of the Extremely deadly poison or the cure everything uh, potion. Uh, and because of that, uh, she also is exerting a lot more sway. And we can see that uh, that's probably why things are a lot more direct than this. It's just a god shows up on their doorstep and is like, hey, go to Alaska right now. Uh, because Gaia has a lot more sway than one individual god does uh, and is actively using it almost as much as she can. Mm-hmm.
0: I think this ties really well into the, to the theme of identity because you mentioned that point about Percy and we see a different aspect of Percy in this book than we did in the entirety of the first series. Mm-hmm. He does not care about being alive anymore. He, as he's lost his memory, he doesn't care. Um, and we see him actively challenge Gia uh, or Gaia. He's like, if you want me alive, You'll let him pick the right because there's no proof that Percy actually picks the right vial, and we're led mm-hmm. to believe he doesn't. But Gaia flips the coin there and is like, I would, or not, I don't know if it's necessarily Gaia or if it's uh Hera, it's, but either it's, way, it said
1: that it said that Gaia influenced uh Phineas's decision, right? Uh, so since he chose first, and she forced him to choose the wrong vial
0: right and we see Percy just challenge her though he's just like if you need me that bad you'll make sure I live through this Mm -hmm. and that continues throughout the rest of this series Percy just has this like not disdain for life but he just doesn't care he doesn't have the same like we have to make it out of here attitude he has from the first book Hmm. he's just like we'll make it I guess but he knows how to play the game Mm-hmm. he's tired of being a pawn in the game. He wants to be involved in the game, which is really an interesting like change in Percy's yeah. character. I uh, noticed,
1: Oh, go go Sorry. Uh, I noticed something similar, um, which was that uh, this, it's sort of a lot of the choices that he made specifically in the uh, scene with Phineas Gaia and him. Uh, a lot of them sort of go back to when he first learned about like, Oh, you got to make people swear on the w- river sticks or else they will not like they'll go against their word. And since that point, he was like, okay, I'm just going to have everybody do that. And you see that he's realized in his sort of time away that he's like piecing together. Okay, I got to do this, this, and this. And like, he's hitting on almost as if he has a checklist to make sure that people do what he wants. And it's not that it's manipulative. I mean, it kind of is, but like not in a bad way. He's just using every piece at his disposal.
0: It's self-preservation.
1: Yes, there we go.
0: Um, And I think... And another thing, too, is we're seeing Percy relearn himself in a completely different way from how we've seen Jason relearning himself in the last book. Jason's relearning is about so much. He's so confused about everything that is happening to him. Percy has one memory, and Percy's like, you know what? I'm done. I don't care. Jason still has the, like, okay, well, eventually everything has to work out, right? Whereas Percy just has this, like, I'm mad that I don't remember myself. He's angry over upset, I think.
1: I, I'd say, I, I'd say angry is probably fair. um, And I think, and you can stop me, uh, you can stop me if you uh, don't think this is true, but it sort of shows like it's a flip of what the camps seem to sort of be about because the, uh, the Romans are very like, okay, fight until fight until your last breath uh the fate of Rome is more important than uh than an individual's fate um and the Greeks are are very sort of like much more close-knit and like oh we're like chipper almost uh and the I Greeks think- are
0: more individualistic mm-hmm. that word's hard to say but yeah and I think we see that you're right in Jason's character in the last book he's very much well, the group needs to finish this. We need to get out of this prophecy. We will make it out alive. And Percy Percy is not only thinking about himself, but he does not care as much about the Roman camp as he does about Frank and Hazel. Mm-hmm. He has a relationship to these two people in his mind. If they make it out alive, then he's... I think this also just speaks of Percy's character. But, um, but yeah, I, I never thought of it like that, but it totally does show the... The difference between the two camps and those two characters and we see so all the like the main three characters in this book also reflect the main three characters from the last book And of course Percy and Jason have this parallel and Hazel and Leo have that parallel little less so but we'll see it more in the next couple of books um, but Hazel returns from the dead and so much of her identity is making sure nobody knows that she is not from this time Um, and she's so just amazed by everything that is happening, but she doesn't want Percy or Frank to find out until later on. Um, because, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but this is, um, there's a scene where, where Hazel takes Frank into her memories. Yes. Okay. I Uh, thought this was this book and I couldn't remember. I think,
1: I think it's not quite that Hazel is taking him in as, she's falling over and, like, grabs him for support, and then he's brought into it, so. Okay,
0: yeah. Um, uh, but but it's very similar to, like, uh, like, Leo has the fear of his powers, and Hazel has the same. Hazel is so like fearful of her abilities. She has, she has a different set of ability, abilities than Nico does. She can manipulate the minerals in the ground and the gems. Mm-hmm. Um, things they're that cursed. people find
1: precious but right. yeah, but but if you pick them up you are cursed uh for like bad luck or misfortune to fall upon you
0: right and like she notes that people who have picked up the gems or her like what people have used the gems as like currency the, the ones that she's summoned they have actively lost all their money or died <laughs> like <laughs> And she's so stressed about her power. And I think that parallels a lot to Mm -hmm. to Leo's character and his identity of this fear. Um, And we see Frank with this fear of his own identity as a child of Mars. He is not a violent person. Mm -hmm. Frank is as close to a, to a pacifist as I think a demigod could be without just like remaining outside of everything. Like, he does not want to fight. He will fight if he needs to, but he does not want to. Um, Frank is just, like, the, one of the sweetest characters, I think. He just wants everybody to like him.
1: <laughs> and I think that you can see that uh, much, uh, much like uh, sort of Piper. Um, they, they, they both uh, sort of reject, not, not really reject, but they both are uncomfortable in the, their sort of godly heritage and use the things around them that aren't directly related to that for a lot more sway. Uh, and But I will say, whereas sort of like Piper learns to like embrace her like charm speak and like her gifts from Aphrodite, um, uh, Frank sort of leans a lot more into his other sort of boons that he has, uh, which is like his, I guess shape-shifting is the best way to call it, like his anamorphs powers. um <laughs> But, I hate uh, that you
0: referenced that, but keep going. <laughs>
1: <laughs> um, and Frank's honestly
0: powers are so cool.
1: They, they are very cool. Uh, I he can turn into like any animal, and I think that's nice. I have always thought powers like that are cool. Um, and it also plays into his character a lot. He does not want. He does not feel comfortable in his own skin. He has said that he always feels like he's too big and too uh, Like. Uh, He's too like luggish. Uh, And like, he just, he, there's a lot of things about himself that he's uncomfortable with. Uh, So when you sort of are given the power to change how you are, uh, he's able to sort of escape the feelings that he was once harboring about both himself and his identity. And I think that that sort of shows that uh, he's been given the ability to literally become whatever he wants to be.
0: Well, I think in the same regard, he deals a lot in his identity. Like, of course, he's Canadian, mm-hmm. um, and we also learn that his blessing comes from his Chinese family. Um, and it's like there's a lot of Frank dealing with his own like identity in that regard as well, which is yet again similar to Piper's and her Native American identity. And I think one of the biggest things for Frank is we see him getting bullied for his identities. We see him getting bullied for being a huge guy. Like he's described as being uh, like a head taller than Percy. He's very broad. Um, And you know, he, his grandmother bullies him for not being, you know, not living up to his mother's honor. Um, and so he deals with that kind of identity forced on him. He's dealing with, uh, we really don't see him getting bullied for his, um, for his family heritage as much, but he still struggles with it a lot. Um, and I, I don't know, it's really, Frank has so much struggle with his identity and especially once he becomes a child of Mars, like once he realizes he's a child of Mars, it just gets worse. (laughs) because then he's even mad about his own identity. He's like, this is crap. I could shoot a bow, what? <laughs> um, and I, But at the same time, he, I think he shows the difference of the two, but that's a whole different thing too. But yeah, I don't know if you have anything else to say on identity there.
1: Um, I don't think so. Everything, uh, everything else in the sort of identity category, uh, I, like, we kind of harped on with uh, Jason. Mm-hmm. Uh, almost like the oh no, I'm missing my memories, and I'm slowly rebuilding myself. But this time, it's with a character that we already know, so I don't think it's as in, I don't think it's both as important nor as like uh, prevalent in this book mm-hmm. as it was in the the previous ones.
0: Okay. And another thing I want to talk about too is the relationships in this book.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So we have this like very sweet like flirting back and forth in Frank and Hazel, and it's very. They are the only, they're both outcasts at camp. Um, And they're very much like, try to think how to describe this. They're both outcasts and they both support each other. They are the only people before Percy shows up that support each other. Mm -hmm. Everybody else just kind of like, oh, it's, you know, everybody still has the skittishness of Hazel being a child of Pluto and nobody wanted to be around Frank. Um, And it's just very, their relationship is so dependent, but on a very even level. Mm -hmm. Like, we see that they are both dealing with a lot of trauma and a lot of secrets. There's still so many secrets in this book. Uh, Hazel's secret of of being dead and Frank's secret of the stick. (laughs) His, like, lifeline stick that he's, like, so panicky about, which is understandable. He's told he will die um, if the stick gets burnt. And but I think their relationship just says a lot about the, the dynamic that we see in this book um, because they are interdependent but also independent of each other um, and they like it's like they don't want to share their secrets with each other because they are afraid of the other one feeling the need to protect the like the other you know
1: um, yeah
0: they don't want to burden each other with their secrets
1: I think I think. That's probably the best way to put it they are they're both very afraid of alienating the other one or making them feel like they are now going to be uh sort of like like just in the way of the rest of the party
0: Mm -hmm.
1: and i think that i think that there's like even a line at the beginning where hazel's like man this guy's an absolute loser, and I, I don't, like, I, I wish that I did not hang around him so often, but he is my friend, and I feel this way about him, so I will continue. Uh, <laughs> meanwhile, I think Frank's just like, boy, howdy, Hazel sure seems nice. I'm glad she's <laughs> nice to me and doesn't bully me.
0: Like, Frank just was like, man, I'm really glad she's not mean to me, and Hazel's like, wow, I'm really glad I'm not mean to Frank. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Um, and another relationship we see, which is a little bit different, I, I we'll talk about her specifically when we talk about characters, is the relationship between Percy and Reyna. Mm, Reyna yes. is not fully projecting onto Percy, but we are led to believe she is projecting onto Percy this like memory she has of Jason.
1: And I, I, I'd even argue that she still is projecting. It's, it, it's, it's, it's kind of strange. It's kind of strange because. Uh, Reyna is, uh, f- I guess, uh, to to over, to very much oversimplify it, is sort of like a mix between the Chiron and Am- Annabeth.
0: <laughs> yeah,
1: uh, it, she is both like a a prominent like leading figure and also the romantic interest of Jason. Um, and Reina seems to sort of like go ahead. No,
0: but we're still left to believe it's one sided.
1: Is it? Are we? Because I thought. I-
0: I always she, I know I always read it as it was one-sided because Jason distantly remembers her, but there's not the and I don't know if that's because of Piper's involvement, but, but Reina is and like I said he, she is very obsessed with finding Jason, but she has not went out to try to find him, which I think says a little bit about her mm-hmm. dichotomy as a character We'll touch on in a second. But, um, but no, I don't I think she was in love with Jason, but Jason was not in love with her.
1: I feel like that's a fair way to take that. I think it also might be fair because you see that Reina was talking about how like she misses Jason and like Jason, um, but at the same time is kind of very, uh, maybe not obviously, but like very blatantly sort of like making moves towards Percy as well. And I think that she is more attracted to or like looking to be with someone that is like very powerful or has a lot of sway. Like she's mm-hmm. looking for gain in the situation rather than interest or maybe that her interest sparks because of what she could gain from Yeah, i was gonna
0: say i wouldn't necessarily say that it's her her interests are solely on people that she thinks she can use to kind of power up but i think it's somebody she considers to be her equal
1: Mm, that yeah that's probably a
0: um and like i said well but we see that relationship that percy just wants to help her like he's like oh okay cool you want to give me this position that's fine um but at the same time he's like i don't want to hurt her feelings but i'm gonna have to hurt her feelings ain't i Mm. um which is just yet again says a lot about percy's character um one thing that always not necessarily irks me but i think says a lot about the roman camp as well is how they treat their satyrs
1: yeah this is like a complete turn but (laughs) yeah no their satyrs are weird uh they're they're the fawns as they're called are a lot different than uh, satyrs at the other camp. Uh, they are, I've, I've, they're like, satyrs are like employees of Dionysus and they are charged with like protecting nature uh, and are all around sort of helpful. However, but the way that the Spartans sort of treat the fauns is just that, oh, these guys are here and we don't really like them uh they do some decent stuff i guess but other than that we're going to try to ignore them at all costs they kind of treat them like like spiders they sort of just like we don't like them and we're going to try to avoid them however we recognize that they do something good around here so meh and it just like is a bit neutral there uh so yeah i think that i i think that that's really all we gotta uh, I think that's really all we can say on the fauns,
0: Right. And it's like, I don't know, the fact that they're like third-class citizens.
1: Yeah. It's... like
0: Because at it, it Camp Half-Blood we see that the satyrs are are the protectors. They are almost in a position of power. Air quote that? I don't they know.
1: are, they have their own council, so right. the, the fauns it... are just fair.
0: And they like bum for money and stuff. Mm-hmm. And it's like, there's a lot of shame put on Percy because he has a connection to a fawn.
1: Yeah, that was that was weird to me. Like, they were like, oh, you, have, you got an empathy link? That's okay. Like, hey, we don't judge here. Like, I, I, I'm great. For my 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 cousin's friend is a fawn. Like, like it, that was very much the atmosphere they were going with. It's just like, they didn't seem comfortable with right. anything about them.
0: But, uh, yeah, that's always what sets, like, weird with me. But... Mm-hmm. Um, And I think that can move us into talking to characters, I think. I don't know if there's much more to add. Oh, wait. Um, We kind of complimented Rick Riordan a little bit on the fact that he settles more into the writing style, Mm
1: -hmm. which is
0: appreciated. There's a little bit of the humor brought back. Um, These characters have good independent stories and good, like, connected stories. And he keeps that throughout the series, like this kind of, like the the style here that he has in this book kind of continues, which is good. Um, You can tell Rick Riordan's getting more comfortable in this like split third person.
1: Yeah, I, it, you can definitely, it's definitely noticeable, like there's a very noticeable difference between this one and the last one, and I'm still not a hundred percent used to it, but, uh, I, I think I'm, I think I'm going to get there if this pattern continues by the time the next book rolls around uh
0: well and another thing is too and i think the fact that we were learning a world we already knew through a character we didn't know yeah sets weird because relearning a world just doesn't doesn't work but i think now we, now see we do this, the inverse yeah and we see how successful the inverse is we know more about percy than percy knows about percy mm-hmm. but we're also still learning the new world around him and it just works really well. Um, so, Yeehaw. yeah. haw
1: I, I think it works very well. Um, uh, yeah. You want to dive into characters? Yee.
0: Um, okay, so we can go ahead and start with Frank. We'll start with Frank and Hazel like separately first, and then we'll work our way down the list. Yeah. I really, I, Frank is one of my favorite characters in the series. Um, he's just so sweet. Um, and he, like I said, He just gets bullied by everybody. <laughs> everybody bullies poor Frank except for his mom who dies. <laughs> who
1: dies before you even get a chance to see her.
0: And one of my favorite lines, and it's when he's kind of realizing his abilities, like his abilities to shapeshift and we have the line where the story keeps getting repeated throughout Frank's kind of narration that his mom would give the bears direction. There's the story yeah. of the bears arriving to the Zhang Manor um, and asking where, you know, they were lost. And Frank's mom was like, Oh yeah, I just told him where to go. And then it clicks with him. He was like, Oh, she literally just became a bear <laughs> and told them where to go. And it's like, that's just so sweet, like the connection he has with his mom. And we ultimately see that his grandma kind of gives him the last, like she she gives him that, I'm proud of you. You've done good mm-hmm. you will you need to come into your role fully but you will be well um and then she dies <laughs> mm-hmm. um and it's just there's a lot of the a lot of frank's character is separating his power from himself in discovering both
1: yeah um, i'd say that's I, i'd say that's fair he is he's is both he's both discovering like these different parts of himself like uh, like, separately, but they also mesh very much together and they all sort of, like, form one central thing of, like, like accepting who he is and finding out that parts of him that he doesn't like, while they may be, like, maybe beneficial in some ways, that he can also just sort of, like, he doesn't have to be, uh, like, ascribed to that. I think
0: it says a lot just on Frank's character. And we'll see a lot more of him, obviously, as the series continues um i want to hop to hazel um to kind of keep the ball rolling and in the same kind of vein you're talking about how frank's mom was such a positive influence on to him hazel's mom was the worst okay everybody. hazel's
1: mom was not great
0: not the worst but definitely not good she yeah. exploited her child
1: <laughs> so like yeah so she was she uh was promised by pluto or rather uh she like summoned Pluto, and Pluto's like, "Okay, I'll oh, great, you will wish sure I guess that's a thing I can do now um and she was like, "I want all the riches under the under the earth and she's like i don 't care about uh what punishment that rings i 'll deal with it later
0: and he's like here 's a child i guess
1: yeah he's like here 's a child now that will do that all for you, but anyone who uses those that wealth is cursed forever and uh, we see that she is, and to be fair, she's being manipulated at this point, but mm-hmm. she sees uh, her daughter as a burden rather than a sort of, like, uh, a, a child, really, just a, a human being. Right. Uh, and because of that, just sort of is is angry about what she has to do. And she, like, goes to Alaska, just like, fine, I guess I'll do this, I guess I'll do this. And until the very end, where she decides to, like, try and turn it around and be like, I'm sorry, Hazel get out of here
0: and it says so and if her mother's treatment of her reflects so much into hazel's character she and i think this also goes back to what we were saying earlier about both frank and hazel's relationship is like she is so afraid of being a burden Mm -hmm. because her mom just constantly told her she was being a burden also kind of to wrap back into frank's point his grandma was doing the same thing and then frank also thought the same thing but hazel we see has so much power she i'm willing to say she's probably one of the more powerful demigods we've seen i mean because she has like she has the ability to manipulate all minerals and all of the ground and all that and it definitely comes into handy a lot in mm -hmm. this book but we also see at the age of 13 she single-handedly stopped gia from rising
1: it, I mean it. That is a feat that I don't think we've seen in any other demigod other than like Percy, Maybe like whooping Kronos,
0: right? And we see also we see a lot of Hazel's power in the fact she was able to tame Arian the horse mm-hmm. um, when they arrive to the the Amazons, and well, when they meet up with the Amazons and they imprison them, Hazel tames this wild horse. That has been prophesized to not be able to be tamed but by the like the best of the of, of the of women or whatever and hazel does it like she's like ah. He's, he, he's really sweet and Percy's like that horse swears like a sailor what are you talking about sweet? <laughs> <laughs> no he's a good boy
1: <laughs> I, I loved that uh, that it was just like every single dialogue like every single line of dialogue out of uh, Orion's mouth was just Percy going oh my dude like you gotta stop <laughs> um, he, there was even a line that they said earlier as they were like, like darting across it was like we were cursing like horses and I thought that, that was very funny
0: Right. And like, anyhow, but that, I love the horse. The horse is so fun. Um, the, the power it took for Hazel to be able to tame this horse. He was at her beck and call. And it, just, it says a lot about Hazel's abilities.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's, she's very strong. She's very cool. There's literally nothing not to like about Hazel. I can't, think of, I can't think of a single trait that there is not to like about Hazel. She's very fun.
0: Um, and that ties into her brother, Nico. Yeah. Um, we, we don't get a lot of Nico in this book, but we do see the fact that he is the ambassador of Pluto. He serves as this kind of, he occasionally shows up to the Roman camp, is like, yo, what's up? Um, and then he hand-delivered Hazel to the camp per his father's request. And he, I think the thing that gets me the most is he just straight up lies to Percy. When, when Hazel is like, oh, my brother's here, Percy, you have to meet my brother. He's super cool. Uh, Mm -hmm. hey, Nico, this is, this is the new guy, Percy. And Nico just looks at him and goes, hello, you have never met me before. (laughs)
1: But also, he does it in that way he goes hello you've never met me and it's like i didn't say i did and he goes good because you haven't like he is not good <laughs> at hiding this. Right, like
0: a 14 year old nico is not he's just there and i he's think like,
1: he's like hello my name is nico i'm a son of hey yeah, also known as pluto
0: <laughs> hey yeah uh, up in the background um, <laughs> but like i think it shows a lot about nico's like self-preservation as well um apparently that's my word for today um i think but it shows so much on his character that he's like first off he has this facade he's keeping up that he just has no clue he's also the only demigod we've seen that knows about the existence of both camps before Hera's involvement yes he knew about the existence of both camps before jason went missing because hazel remembers jason
1: and I think that I think that that's. I mean, the, the reason for that is because he he finds he he realizes that the doors are open and goes like, oh cool. And he can't find Bianca. He goes, oh well, I have another sibling. Hold on, who's this coming from? And then presumably Hades slash Pluto like spills the beans.
0: Right. Um, and and that's another thing I want to talk about his relationship with Hank, Hazel. He's obviously projecting Bianca onto Hazel, but he's taken Bianca's role. Mm-hmm. He is the older brother, but not okay. <laughs> this is where the fun timeline comes in because Hazel was technically born in the 1920s, but is only 13. And then you have Nico, who was born in the 60s or the or the 40s. He was born in the 40s.
1: He was yeah,
0: but he's, he was, he's he was older. Born
1: a, he was born a little bit before uh, World War II uh, was like coming to an end, I believe.
0: Right. So he was technically, he's technically younger than Hazel, but in the timeline, like in the timeline, he's younger than Hazel, but in actuality, he's older than Hazel.
1: So, so Something along those lines. Yes. It's
0: weird. And that's kind of its purpose to show that neither it's... of them belong in the world they're in. Mm-hmm. And he is taking on the role of making sure that Hazel is integrated into the world that they are in. He is making sure that Hazel is aware of what's changed, how, you know, her mobility as a girl, as a black girl specifically, the mobility she has now It is compared to the 1920s. Yeah. Um, and there's a lot of conversation about that. Um, and that does play in a little bit more when we get into the next book. Um, and it's real fun. You'll, you'll, I don't know if you'll enjoy it, but you probably will. Um, but yeah, I just, every time I reread this book, Nico's character sticks out to me so much. Just because of, yet again, his relationship with Hazel and the fact he just straight up lies (laughs) to both of them, to both Percy and Hazel. He
1: is, he has grown, he has grown a lot in a lot of aspects, good and bad. Uh, and there's... There's a lot to be said about how he acts in this book, as a, like uh, when compared to the first time he's shown in the series.
0: Mm-hmm. And the last ca- character I want to touch on is Raina. Yeah, she is in a leadership position that she's been in for a while. She is, um, honestly, probably yet again a relatively powerful character she's also one of the only characters that doesn't have a Greek equivalent, like, parent. Um, her mother exists solely in Roman mythology. There is no flip side to her in Greek mythology. And that's kind of a point for Reina in this, specifically. Um, and it shows a lot in her power as a creator. And we see just Yet again, how Roman she is, mm-hmm. despite the fact that her feelings are hurt, that Jason is not there, despite how much she misses him, and she wis- wishes she could go find him, she has a camp to run, and she's going to do it well. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And I, I don't know, I don't, I, I really like her character, and we do get to learn a little bit more about her. Um, and my heart breaks for her. Just because in her mind, the only option she has is to just continue to lead as if nothing is wrong. Mm-hmm. She can delay the, like the vote for a new creator as long as possible until somebody decent enough, Percy, comes along, but it's killing her because she is doing this all on her home, like a job for two people she' doing on her own, and it's just I I, I really like Raina. I didn't as a kid. I definitely hated her as a kid. Um, when I was younger, I was like, mm, she's trying to take Percy from Annabeth. How disgusting. And I'm like, oh, you know, that's just my internalized misogyny kicking in there. <laughs> but <laughs> rereading the series, because I reread the series back in June, and then I, obviously I'm rereading it now. And I just, I was like, I respect her so much.
1: Um, so yeah. You want to move on to MVPs and LVPs?
0: Yeah. All oh right. my gosh, I haven't thought about this.
1: Oh I, no, okay.
0: Okay, I've thought vaguely of it, but not in right. a <laughs> in a good setting. So
1: then uh LVP right now for me. Mm-hmm.
0: Uh
1: man, I this one was a toss-up for me. Uh so I hope that you have a backup.
0: I yeah, have two and I think they're the same two.
1: Yeah. Uh I'm gonna go with uh what was what was that fool's name? Octavian.
0: Reasonable. Um,
1: so Octavian uh, for LVP he's he's the equivalent of Rachel uh, it's supposed to be very useful in like giving out prophecies I can't really think of any of his that were real or maybe not real that were like that were helpful in any capacity he kind of just goes things will be good things will be bad and it, it's, it's prominent in the very end uh like he goes oh oh, this is this is going to be i can i can see the tides of the future it's going to be it's going to be really bad if we help out these people and it's like either it's it is either that he's lying there or he is directly misinterpreting on purpose like there's going to be that's what the thing is going to be it's just not between these two camps it seems that everything he does is trying to just his own sway instead of anything else and it's it's gross it's weird uh and I don't think he's useful to the plot at all other than to be a real d-bag
0: he serves as like the like subtle antagonist yeah in the same way that like Clarice was an antagonist in the first yeah but Clarice was likable even then yeah no Octavian literally has no redeeming qualities (laughs) (laughs) he's the worst um I, that was going to be one of my, that was one of my two, Mm -hmm. Uh, but I will in turn, even though I love him, my LVPs, Nico, Mm,
1: that's that's fair.
0: I just still, I just, he, we could have got to the whole reconnecting of the camps that we see kind of, not see, but we kind of begin to see at the end of this book so much sooner if he would have just been like, Hey, what's up? Cool. So the Greeks, you're Greek. I'm Greek. I mean, like, hey, you know me. Like, and he just didn't. Um, and I don't know if that's just his like, isol- like isolational. Like, oh, let me try to say this word. His like need to be isolated, or if it is his individualism, or I, the I fact took, he doesn't play well with others.
1: I took it as he was directly like told he should not and cannot interfere
0: probably
1: I yeah he, I, I he
0: probably it's... was but also I think in my mind for a character that is so smart and then we've seen go against godly orders multiple times why this one why do he listen you know I hold it against Nico a lot because he's supposed to be like one of Percy's friends he's supposed to you know he's he's supposed to trust Percy and he just mm-hmm. also the fact that he's most likely been at the Greek camp multiple times in between this and like either Mm -hmm. seeing Jason there and said nothing and maybe not we have no contextual proof that he ever goes back to Camp Half-Blood before you know in this stretch
1: of novel yeah it's it's only a week
0: Mm -mm, no there's a lot of time between Jason and Percy there's Uh, like six months between these two books
1: oh no sorry i i thought you meant between when he sees percy at this camp oh no no, no. i'm talking about
0: the fact he's been like he obviously was at the roman camp before jason went missing and like i said there's no contextual proof that he went back to camp half-blood in the time between when Mm -hmm. this book starts and when jason went missing but you can assume so
1: yeah i think that I mean, it feels like I f- he would have said something. I-, I still think it is a little weird. However, I feel like he- there was probably some leash put on him there, especially because just the knowledge of the two camps is supposed to be something that you do not know. So I assume right. if he was granted this information, it was like, if you say anything, you get you'll get you be smite. You'll be smitten? Smited? smited?
0: You'll be smited
1: on the spot. Something like that. <laughs> right. um,
0: but yeah, I'm going to make... I. I don't know. It's somebody who values loyalty and I just don't vibe with him. No, just that that is to
1: Percy. That is fully fair.
0: Huh. Anyhow. <laughs> MVP.
1: MVP is... The, I never thought I would say these words that are about to come out of my mouth. My MVP is going to be Mars.
0: Oh, um, okay.
1: Now, and hear, hear me out. He is not great. However, he both his the way that he makes like frank like uncomfortable and wants to sort of like get away from him as much as he can is the reason that frank is even going on this quest he gets out there and forces everyone to let frank go and to make sure percy jackson goes uh he uh he gives the most direct prophecy we've ever seen which is literally go 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 alaska now fight fight giant boy go now it's like uh that like needed zero interpretation so i can appreciate that um he gave one of the most helpful magic items i think we've seen in this entire quest uh which is just summon in summon an instant win button three times uh hopefully you learn how to use your powers by then it is he is incredibly useful in this Uh, and like is a major driving force in the spot via his like interactions and while I don't like the guy I gotta I gotta stay true to my themes here he is incredibly important in this book and I do not see a I cannot foresee a plot where he is not there and that they succeed
0: I I agree to that one um very much in the same stroke I guess uh my MVP is going to be Mama Zang. Mm. Um, I believe her name's Emily. Um, She just cares so much for her kid. Um, And she is just, of course we're painted from, we kind of get her character as a memory, but she's just so compassionate. And we learn that she is, like, this, like, four, like, did four tours you know and she's just this amazing
1: tourist no idea
0: well she's just this like amazing warrior but yet she still has so much compassion and like levelness with her and she just cares so much about her kid she just wants him to be happy and healthy and i always like i said i just i keep thinking back to the scene of her literally telling the bears where to go and it's just very <laughs> heartwarming she does very little for the plot other than is, like, the one, Pete, like, happy things, like, Frank has in his life, but I yeah. just, I just love her a lot. She's one of those characters that really doesn't have a big, obviously, she doesn't play much of a role, um, but she, I think, thematically does a
1: lot. Yeah, I get, you I
0: Um, so, that's it for this week's episode of The Classroom. Uh, next week, we will be talking about Mark of Athena, you can always listen to us on live on U92 on Friday mornings at 11 a.m. Um, or if you're listening to this on a Friday morning at 11 a.m., you can always find us over on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, basically anywhere you find your podcasting needs. Uh, so, yeah, I think that's it for the classroom this week, guys.
1: Yeah, thank you guys. See you. Have a good
0: one. Bye.